We're going to be in Revelation chapter 16 this morning. I like some of the Indiana Jones movies, and one of the movies that I was watching one time, Indiana Jones comes in, and I think this is a, a make-believe story about the cup of Christ and all that, uh, that that's in that movie, but he goes and he has to choose between all of these different cups, and uh, the fellow that chooses before him does not choose wisely. And uh, he takes he takes of the water, and he be, you know the the curse comes upon him, and he starts withering up. It looks like a ghoul, and then finally turns into dust and explodes. And uh, the the knight there says he chose poorly. And so uh, then Indiana Jones finds this cup that looks like a humble cup of a carpenter, and he takes it and he drinks, and he says he has chosen wisely. And so then he takes that cup, and he's able to use the water in that cup to heal the gunshot wound in his father. And the reason I tell you that story that has really nothing to do with, with uh, the Word of God, but it is a good illustration of the fact that all of us must choose which cup we're going to drink from. The Bible says there is a cup of wrath, but there is also a cup of salvation. I'm glad that there's not just a cup of wrath, because I don't want to be there. I want to be drinking from the cup of salvation. Uh, the Bible teaches that the wrath of God uh, is always just. It's unlike our anger, our wrath. We sometimes get mad and do the wrong thing. Matter of fact, the Bible says the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And so usually when we get angry, we do the wrong thing. But when God gets angry, he always does the just and right thing. But God's wrath is a reality, and I believe we need to understand uh, something of the coming wrath so that we can also prepare for that, but, but also uh, so that we can learn how to live in light of that part of God's character here in this life as we live. Um, we need to respond rightly to the wrath of God. There's a lot at stake on that. And so if you look with me at Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1, I want to talk to you about wise responses to God's wrath. Wise responses to God's wrath. Um, rather, I think I'm going to wait to read on that, but what I want to point out to you is when we get to this point in the book of Revelation, we have reached the climax of the tribulation period. All that has come before, horrific though it, though it is, uh, all of that just builds to this point at which God's wrath is completed. And these last seven bowls of God's judgment come, and then you have a few chapters that come afterwards that describes specific things about different, uh, uh, different things that God judges as he judges with these bowls. But, uh, but this represents the crescendo, the, the, the uh, highest point of God's wrath in the, the book of Revelation and in the future time of the tribulation. And so when you see this, you're going to see some things that will probably shock you a little bit, uh, maybe even disturb you a little bit. 
But when you look at these things through the perspective of God, God who created this world perfect, who created everything good, the Bible says God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And he said, just don't eat from that one tree. And they do it. Then, from time and 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 time again, mankind makes a decision and individuals within mankind consistently make decisions to rebel against God. God had a good purpose for you and for me when he created this world. He wanted it to be a good place. He wanted us to bring glory to him and to have a relationship with him unhindered by sin. But you and I chose, you know how I know you chose? Because the Bible says so. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so every single human being that has ever lived has sinned against God. Now, the Bible describes this cup thing that I've been talking to you about as a process. Uh, I don't know if any of you have one of those little... uh, uh, things on your refrigerator where you can stick your cup up and it'll fill it with water and kind of filtered water and uh, you know uh, it's, sometimes I get kind of impatient with that you know what I'm saying because I okay I got things to do here it's taking forever you know and uh, uh, but there's a process that you have to go through to fill that cup up until it's ready to be drunk now I like to drink from a big cup I don't know about you but uh, I like to drink from a big cup. I like to drink a lot. And, and so um, I've got these big honker cups, if you want to use a term my wife likes to use. And I, I like to drink a lot. Now, not, not alcohol, okay? Some of you are in there probably thinking, I'm going to talk to him about that afterward. Now, it's not alcohol. Uh, but, uh, but there's a process by which a cup is filled. Now, that's important because God's judgment doesn't just come on a whim. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God is slow to anger. He is abounding in love and rich in mercy to all who call upon him. But there is a point at which the cup is full. And when the cup is full, then judgment comes. Now, this is not just one society or one country in the world as oftentimes it is in Scripture when God's wrath comes and God's judgment comes. This is all of humanity. And all of the world has come to the place where the cup is full, and now judgment must come. And this is righteous and good judgment. Now, uh, we all have felt the need for there to be justice before. We said, boy, I wish there would be justice upon those who cheat us and and those who uh, rape and murder and, and those who who abduct children and, and all of these things. I wish there was justice. I wish it would come. And, and we, we all have that sense that justice should come, that the Hitlers of this world and the, the Pol Pots of this world and, and all of these rulers that have oppressed people, there should be a time of judgment. But God's standard is so much higher than ours, and, and sometimes that's what we don't get. 
when you look at this from God's perspective and the time that God has given and the witness that God has given and they've killed the saints and God has sent an angel and they still haven't listened and God has tried to get their attention with judgments and they still haven't listened and and everything they're doing and even here within this series of bold judgments you find the people resisting God's grace. For those who resist God's grace, they have rejected the cup of salvation and they have chosen the cup of wrath. And this is where we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 16. It's important that we know how to respond rightly to God's wrath. The first thing I want you to see is do not persecute God's people. That's the first way to respond to God's wrath. If you don't know Christ, don't persecute God's people. Don't take advantage of me. I remember the story of of Abraham in the Old Testament. You remember God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you and so forth and so on. And uh, Abraham goes down to Egypt. And he uh, tells a half-truth about his wife, basically a lie, and says, she's my sister. Pharaoh takes her into his household uh, to be his wife, and God strikes all of the the officials of Pharaoh's household uh, with a disease. And so Pharaoh finally figures it out, and he he calls Abraham in there and, and sends Abraham out of Egypt. But there's this ongoing theme through Scripture that those who persecute God's people will find God standing on their behalf. Uh, you remember Saul on the Damascus Road? He is traveling with the commands of the high priests to imprison and to, to kill Christians who have fled to Damascus. And so he's on this road, and, and there's a great light that shines from heaven, and Jesus says these words to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my people? No. Why do you persecute me? Jesus says, when you persecute my people, you persecute me. On the playground is, you know, you say something against my mama, it's go time. Okay? You know, that's what Jesus is saying. You are persecuting me. You are persecuting my people. And so Saul wisely responded to God, and he repented, and he became one of the greatest apostles. And so, uh, we don't need to persecute God's people. And I realize I've got, I'm talking to a group of God's people here, but, but there are probably some that aren't. Be careful what you say. And then let me say this. As God's people, we need to be careful how we treat each other. Now, we are not under God's wrath, that's true. Those of us who are children of God, the Bible says that we are not appointed to suffer wrath. Isn't that great news? (laughs) Jesus took my wrath on my behalf, so I don't have to experience the wrath of God. It is settled for eternity. Praise the Lord for that. But it's still true that God disciplines his people. So be careful how you treat other believers in Christ, because you may find yourself fighting against Christ himself. Do not persecute God's people. Uh, 
he gives the first three bold judgments here, and these are judgments for the persecution. You remember a few weeks back, we talked about the martyrs in heaven, those who've been killed for their faith, and they're crying out under the altar, Lord, how long, how long till you avenge us? For those who have killed us, for those who have mistreated us, for those who have sold us into slavery and done these horrific things to us, Lord, how long the time has come. And God is bringing his judgment. So look with me at verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the sanctuary saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. So that mark thing backfired. Now, they may have been able to buy and sell for a while, but now it turns into a painful sore. Then look at verse 3. The second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like a dead man's, and all life in the sea died. So God turns, you, I don't know if you remember the second trumpet judgment. Part of the sea is turned to blood. Now all of the sea is turned to blood. It's not just blood, it's blood as of a dead man. So it's polluted and vile blood. And it's a, it, it kills everything that lives and breathes. And some of you say, preacher, do you really believe that? Absolutely. If God created all of human human beings and he created all the universe with a word, he can turn the sea to blood if he wants to. He's God. Um, and I believe that that this will be a great judgment. And so you, you see all sea life. Can you imagine that? No seafood. You won't be able to go to Red Lobster during the tribulation when you get to this point, okay? If there even is still a Red Lobster. Uh, you won't be able to go. No sea life will, will survive this judgment of God. And so uh, great economy uh, effects to this. And then look at verse 4. The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So now not only are the, uh, the oceans blood, but the streams and rivers are blood. So both fresh water and salt water are blood. And look at the reason for this. Verse 5, I heard the angel of the water say, You are righteous who is and who was the Holy One, for you have decided these things. Because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, you also gave them blood to drink. They deserve it. Then I heard someone from the altar say, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So they have shed great, great blood in killing the people of God, and now God has given them blood to drink. There will be a day of justice, not just for the people who have uh, murdered the people of God, but for the people all over the world who have done horrific crimes. There will be a day when people will answer. There's also grace found in the cup of salvation. Now, you may say, well, uh, you, you don't believe that God would forgive a murderer. Absolutely, I do. Did you know that the Bible records that David murdered your... Now, he didn't actually do it with his hand, but he sent Uriah to the front lines. 
And he told Joab, he said, don't think about this, Joab. You just sent him out there in the worst of the fighting, and, and uh, the sword devours one as well as another. But he, through his decision, murdered Uriah to cover up his own sin. And the Bible says that David was forgiven. He drank from the cup of salvation. Okay? So I want to tell you something. Even for the persecutors of God, there is grace if they'll drink from, from the cup of salvation. Now, that's good news. Because, you know, the sin that God hates, God hates all sin, but there's some things he especially hates. Guess what? All of us have done them. You know what the Bible says? Seven sins that are an abomination to God that God hates with a passion. You know what one of them is? Lying lips. Lying lips. Who of us have not told a lie at some point in our lives? Now, hopefully you don't go around telling them all the time. But the fact is, that is a sin that God hates. I mean, he's not just, oh, well, that's wrong. No, he hates it. He's passionate about it. Aren't you glad there's a cup of salvation to drink? I love that scripture. Paul uh, writes in one of his letters, and he says, uh, you know, uh, all these types of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes through this long list of sins. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were cleansed. You were sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that good stuff? Praise God for the cup of salvation. So responding to God's wrath wisely, do not persecute God's people. Then secondly, do not wait to be saved. Do not wait to be saved. I was reading about uh, the advice they give to, to people who have heart problems, and they say, if you're having chest pains, you don't need to wait longer than about five minutes to call the ambulance. You have chest pains for five minutes, don't you hesitate. You pick up that phone and you call right then because if you wait too long, you may miss your opportunity to be saved. Same thing is true in spiritual things. Many people say, you know, I've got all the time in the world. I'm young. I'm young. I, I've got all the time to make this decision. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then someday when I get ready, I'll make a decision to give my heart to Christ. Listen, you don't know what life is going to bring today or tomorrow. You don't know what God may do and what God may allow in your life. And if he's giving you an opportunity today to give your heart to Christ, do not wait to be saved. What these people had done is they had waited, apparently, through the tribulation period. And God had given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be saved. But now the time of God's deadline had come. And, and 2, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about the fact that there comes a point at which God's Spirit no longer strives with man. And, and we'll talk about that more in a second. But... The Bible says that we have a limited time to respond to God. So we need to take the opportunity that we have to drink of that cup of salvation before it's too late. Look at verse, uh, verse 8. The fourth uh, poured out his bowl on the sun. He was given power to burn people with fire. 
The people were burned by the intense heat, so they blasphemed the name of God who had the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues from pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, yet they did not repent of their actions. Both the fourth and the fifth bowl are judgments, but they are judgments with the intended purpose of having people repent. And yet they have gone so far in their hardening process and resisting the will of God and resisting the salvation of God that no matter how severe these judgments get, they refuse to repent. I think if I had somebody burning me with a sun with a sunspot or something like that, I think I would be I would be ready to repent. But such is the condition of the human heart, our hardness continues to grow as we listen to the message of God and refuse to respond to it. We get harder and harder and harder. And they refuse to repent. Matter of fact, it says they blasphemed God. They cursed His name. They blasphemed the things of God despite their great suffering. Don't wait to be saved. There's a hardening process that takes place. Make sure you respond to God and take that cup of salvation so that you'll be prepared for the time of His wrath. Then do not wait to embrace the truth. Do not wait to embrace the truth. I mentioned 2 Thessalonians 2. The Bible says that because they refuse to believe the truth, God will give them over to believe a lie. There will come a point at which God will say, okay, I'm going to allow you to be deceived by the evil one. And I'm going to let you go your own way. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. They resisted, they resisted, they resisted, they resisted. And now God is no longer going to give them the truth. He is giving them over to believe a lie. The Old Testament describes a, a period of judgment in Israel's history where it says there won't uh, be a famine of food or these kinds of things that you're used to as judgments. No, there will be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord because they had rejected it and rejected it and rejected it and rejected it. And now God says, listen, the people of the world have heard my truth. They have heard what I've said, and though I want them to repent, there are some who have passed my deadline. I give them over to believe a lie, and that's what this next bowl is about. The sixth bowl poured out on uh, the sixth. Excuse me. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God the Almighty. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go out naked and they see his shame. So they assembled them at the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. These three demonic spirits that come from, from Satan or the dragon 
from the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, the beast sidekick who's, who does religious stuff that points to the beast, uh, all three of these will, will be in some way uh, responsible for sending out these three demonic spirits who will go throughout the earth and deceive the leaders of the world and bring them together across the Euphrates River, for those who are from the east, and that will be dried up, and they will come together for the battle of Armageddon, and they are coming together and being gathered for their doom. They're being deceived by Satan. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. These are people that worship the devil. They worship the devil's beast, the Antichrist. They responded to the false prophet, worshiped the image, and did all these things. They worship the devil, and I'm going to tell you, this is the devil's purpose. The devil doesn't have a good purpose for them. He wants to destroy them. And so these demonic spirits, now it's all under the control of God. God's allowing this to happen. They've rejected the truth, so God's giving them over to believe a lie. And these demonic spirits are going to deceive the people, and they're going to gather them together for God's judgment. But it is the purpose of the enemy to destroy you. Don't you let the enemy deceive you. Don't you let this world deceive you into thinking that if you go the world's way and you embrace the patterns of sin in this life, that good is going to come from it. Ultimately, there's, there may be pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof is the way of death. Satan's purpose was to destroy them. Don't wait to embrace the truth. The fact that you can sit in this building. We were talking about religious freedom in Sunday school this morning some. and The fact that you can assemble in this building is a great privilege. Men have fought and bled and died so that you could sit and hear the word of God. It's amazing. I, I was listening to the radio this week and they were describing people in uh, uh, different parts of, obscure parts of China that... Uh, have very few books, and, and the books that they have are worn and tattered because they passed them around and, and, and so forth and so on. And, and the books that they were using were Bibles. And they, they were talking about the fact that these missionaries brought this, these Bibles to these people in China who, who don't have them, and it's, it's so precious to them, and they would clutch the Bibles to their chest and say, thank you so much, thank you, thank you for this precious gift. And week after week, we listen to the Word oftentimes, and we don't heed it if we even bother to come. I want to tell you something, we've been given a precious gift in the Word of God. Don't wait to embrace the truth. Just as there's that time limit in God's plan in the future, there's a time limit for each and every believer, or each, excuse me, each and every lost person. God has a limited time for you to repent. You must respond to the truth. Don't wait to embrace the truth before it's too late. Then do not rely on present stability. May 18th, 1980, something dramatic happened. Mount St. Helens erupted. 
people were going about their normal, everyday duties, going to work, going to school, uh, doing their normal activities, no one thought anything would be different that day. And in one instant, boom, everything changed. Over 200 homes destroyed, 57 people lost their lives. It was the worst volcanic event in America's history in one instant. Don't rely on present stability. Your life may be stable, things may be going on the way they've always gone on, but don't assume that it's going to continue to be that way. At any moment, things can change. You see, the seventh bowl is poured out. The loud voice came from the sanctuary from the throne and said, It is done. There were lightnings, rumblings, and thunders, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since man has been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Can you imagine that? With this one event, every city on earth will fall. That's a disaster. Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing 100 pounds, fell from heaven on the people and they blasphemed God for the plague of hell because the plague was extremely severe. Now this is just the precursor to Jesus coming back, okay? That part of this seventh bowl is Jesus coming back and winning the battle at the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, but before that happens, this will take place. I mean, can you imagine? All the cities of the world destroyed. The great city split into three parts. I, I kind of think that's talking about Jerusalem. Some people think it's Babylon, but I, I think it may be talking about Jerusalem because there's other scriptures that talk about Jerusalem being split. But all the mountains and the islands are moved and, and, and destroyed, and the, the, the earthquake, the worst earthquake in the history of mankind will take place. And that's why everything's going haywire, because it, it, it is so terrible of an earthquake that it affects the world. And, and the Bible says that there'll be these great hailstones falling. Now, I lived in uh, Texas for a while, and uh, one of the things they have from time to time is really bad hailstorms. And I, there were a number of times I'd watch the news and people, all their, their car windows are busted out and their, uh, some of their homes, are, all the windows are busted out and, and uh, people injured by the big hailstones that fall and so forth and so on. But, but we're talking about maybe a hailstone like that. These hailstones will be unlike any that we've ever seen before. And they'll kill you if they fall on you. I mean, it's, it's going to be serious business. Can you imagine the hail damage claims on that one? I tell you what, it must be incredible. But, but this, this judgment will, will be so global that it will affect human beings as never before. But you know what mankind's response is? It's not, Lord, have mercy on us. It's to blaspheme God. 
So in this instant, everything changes. Can I tell you, I, I've, I have been in hospital rooms, and I've been with people who, who have lost loved ones, and they didn't expect to lose them. It just changed in the moment. Can I tell you, don't assume that your life will remain stable. Respond to God by taking the cup of salvation before it's too late. The cup of wrath is real. And the cup of God's justice is real. And it will come. It will either be exercised upon Christ, it already has been, on your behalf, or it will come upon you if you fail to repent. Don't make the mistake of being unwise when it comes to eternal things. How do you respond wisely to God's wrath? Don't persecute God's people. Don't wait to be saved. Don't wait to embrace the truth. And don't rely on present stability. Let's pray. Father, it's sobering to think of your wrath. But Lord, I thank you that you are a God of justice. And that the injustices of this world will one day be settled. And furthermore, Lord, I thank you that you sent your son to bear my wrath and my penalty in my place. God, I can't understand that kind of love. Lord, as we are gathered here this morning, Lord, I pray, even as we talk about your wrath, Lord, that we won't fail to see your message of love in the nail scars of your son. And the crown of thorns that he wore. The great sweat drops of blood he shed. Father, help us to embrace your grace. To receive the gift of salvation before it's too late. To recognize, Lord, that you sent the best that heaven had for us. So that we could be forgiven. And have eternal life. Help us not to ignore the precious gift that you've given. I pray it in Jesus' name.